Imagine waking up and feeling ready to face the day with a smile, having more energy for your work, family and social life, fitting into your jeans and feeling good about your body, knowing what to eat and enjoying your food without guilt or confusion, dealing with the stress of daily life in a way that doesn't fry your chips and best of all, feeling relaxed, optimistic and in control of your health. It's all possible. I will show you how. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energized life with Straight Talking Natural Health, a no BS, tell it like it is wellness show brought to you by qualified naturopath and functional medicine practitioner, Jules Galloway. That's me. Today's interview is with Dr. Dale Bredesen, an internationally recognized expert in the mechanisms of neurodegenerative diseases. His career has been guided by a simple idea that Alzheimer's as we know it is not just preventable, but reversible. Dr. Bredesen's research explores previously uncharted territory in explaining the physical mechanisms behind the erosion of memory seen in Alzheimer's disease, and this has opened the door to new approaches in treatment, including incorporating diet and nutrition. This work has led to the identification of several new therapeutic processes that are showing remarkable early results. You can read about his findings and research in his New York Times bestseller, The End of Alzheimer's. So please sit back and enjoy this chat in a series that I did from the Bioceutical Symposium earlier this year. And remember, it might not just help someone you know right now, but this could save you from developing a disease in the future. We are at the Bioceutical Symposium in Sydney, and I have sitting in front of me the wonderful Dr. Dale Bredesen. Okay, now you're a leading expert in neurodegenerative diseases. I'll try and spit that out properly, but particularly Alzheimer's disease. So can you tell me why you were drawn to that area of medicine in the first place? Yeah, in part because I was fascinated by the brain. I just think that the brain is like the most interesting thing that you can study, such a fascinating organ and such a fascinating network. And so we got interested in what goes wrong with the brain. And as you know, the area of medicine that has been the least successful of all when it comes to therapy is in neurodegeneration. As people often say, everybody knows a cancer survivor, nobody knows an Alzheimer's survivor. If you look at all the different diseases we've done, you know, fairly well with things like rheumatoid arthritis, at least there's something for it. We've done you know, fairly well and well, extremely well, of course, with infectious illnesses like tuberculosis and even more recently HIV even. But when you get neurodegenerative diseases, whether you get Lou Gehrig's disease or whether you get Alzheimer's or frontotemporal dementia, it's a death sentence. And there just hasn't been anything. So I set up my research lab 30 years ago. And the idea was, could we understand the fundamental nature of the neurodegenerative process in enough detail that we could begin to fashion the first effective preventions and treatments? Wow. And what sort of changes have you seen over that 30 years? So you must have seen a lot of developments sort of come and go, really. Absolutely. No, it's been very exciting to see. And you know, when we would go to meetings and I would say, look, we're, we're, we want to understand what is Alzheimer's disease? What's the nature of this disease? People would look at me like I was crazy. Like, what do you mean? What is it? Because everybody had their own idea. Oh, it's a disease of amyloid. It's a disease of free radicals. It's a disease of metal binding. Everybody has their own idea. You know, it's a disease of prions, you know, whatever. 
And what we've seen is that people uh, started in the early 90s uh, finding genes that were associated, things like APP and presenilin-1 and presenilin-2. And of course, also around that same time, um, APOE4 became the big risk factor that people understood. And uh, so uh, it, it started to change the way we thought about the disease. And then, of course, more recently, it's become clear that the amyloid that was vilified in this disease actually has a function as a protective agent. So you've got, on the one hand, the thing that seems to be mediating the downsizing of the neuronal connections. And at the same time, that's also the thing that seems to have some sort of protective effect. So how do you reconcile those? And so what it be, what became clear is that we need to look at all of the different observations coming from epidemiology, coming from neuropathology, coming from microbiology, coming from uh, all sorts of genetics, for example, toxicology. Each of these has their own contributions. And whoever is going to figure out a, a theory that explains this disease will have to have a theory that explains all of these different observations. For example, why is it that you have increased risk after menopause? Why is it that you have increased risk if you have a low vitamin D level? Why is it that you have increased risk if you have insulin resistance? What the heck does that have to do with these other things? If you are obese, if you have type 2 diabetes, all of these things predispose you. And of course, if you are ABOE4 positive, as about a quarter of the population is. So all of these things, we have to take these into account. And so ultimately, we came up with a theory that explains all of this. So this is coming from the test tube. And what we found was that when you look at this and you recognize what's actually going on and that the APP is actually a molecular switch that is literally deciding, are you going to downsize or are you going to be able to upsize? Then it really explained all these different things and it told us how to prevent it and how to treat it. So we actually tried to do the first clinical trial, which was a first comprehensive clinical trial that had ever been done in history uh, for Alzheimer's and pre-Alzheimer's. That was 2011. And it was going to be done in Australia, actually, because we were going to include a drug that you could get in Australia, but not in the U.S. Well, it was turned down by both the public and the private IRBs because it included several different components instead of just one. Everybody wants to do clinical trials with one thing at a time, which if you think about human pathophysiology, really makes absolutely no sense. It's kind of like saying, I want to change the complete culture of my company that has you know, massive numbers of people because human organisms are obviously extremely complicated, but I'm just going to change one janitor. It just doesn't make any sense. So when you go after these complex chronic illnesses, you need to start by asking what causes them. And then you need to address all of the different contributors. So we tried to do that, as I said, in 2011. We were not allowed to do it. And in fact, the uh, philanthropist who had supported some of the work said that if I had been working for him, he would have fired me because we <laughs> failed to get the Australian IRBs to, uh, a pre, you know, to allow us to do the trial. And so shortly thereafter, we started thinking, okay, well, if we can't do this as a trial, let's at least see whether we can get some anecdotal data. And so we now published... Uh, over a hundred people 
um, that have had clear, objective, and quantified improvements. And this includes improvements in their cognitive testing, improvements in quantitative EEGs in some of them, improvements in MRI volumetrics. So these are things that are objective and quantified. And we see repeal, and we get you know email after email. Um, there are several thousand people who are now on the protocol. We get all sorts of wonderful stories about improvements in these people. So we're not suggesting that this is the end, of course. What we're suggesting is that here's at least a beginning of a way. Let's now look and see, can we make it better? Can we treat people better as they are farther along? Because so far, no surprise, those who are earliest do the best. So at least it gives us a toehold into what to do about this. And it fits perfectly with the theory that comes out of the test tube. So the surprise to me has been what the test tube results dictate, what the fundamental science dictates. And I came at this, as I said, just as a scientist. I don't care whether you take a drug or whether you take a nutraceutical or whether you exercise. I I don't care. Whatever works. But the surprise has been that what the research shows is the way to go fits much better with what people have called quote, alternative medicine or integrative (laughs) medicine, then it fits with the medicine I was taught as a neurologist back in the 1970s and 80s. So, you know, I was disappointed to see that that the standard that, that I was taught was actually not fitting with the information that we gleaned from the laboratory experiments. I believe we've moved on from the term alternative medicine now, and I think we're, what are we calling it now, unconventional medicine? Well, they call it you know, CAM, <laughs> complementary alternative. You know, I call it, instead of alternative medicine, I call it no alternative medicine. Yes. Because when you come to Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative disease, there's no alternative. Exactly. Exactly. Like, why not, as Australians would say, have a crack? Exactly. Right? Exactly. exactly. Oh, there's so many rabbit holes I would love to go down, mm. but look, Let's talk about, you did mention a protocol. What are some of the things that make up that protocol? Because I'm sure people are listening to this going, yeah, but what does he give them? So you can, yeah, so you can certainly go on the internet and and look at our our protocol, look at what we've done. And we've published, you know, a book and we've published multiple papers on this. So it's it's easy to get that. Uh, But to, to sum it up, essentially, what it says is it makes no sense to try to treat a complex illness with a single drug. So you start by asking what's causing it. And it's different, no surprise, it's a little different for each person. We typically find 10 to 25 contributors for each person. And a simple example, someone might have a high HSCRP because they have ongoing inflammation. They might have a a high fasting insulin because they have insulin resistance. Um, They may have high urinary mycotoxins because they've been exposed. They may have high mercury in their blood and urine because they've been exposed to that. And it can be organic or inorganic, as you know. Um, They they may have uh, poor vascular support and have, uh, for example, a high LDL particle number. So what we did is we wrote a computer-based algorithm that looks at all the different features, all the different contributors. We look right now at 150 different variables. Now, you know, that's a very tiny number. You know, your genome alone is 3.3 billion base pairs. So, you know, this is a relatively simple, and yet it's much more than your typical Alzheimer's centers are looking at, which are, you know, Sodium, serum, sodium, serum, potassium, B12, thyroid, you know, a few other things. It's really a very, very incomplete way to look at this illness. When you then look at it, the first thing we do is we look at the subtyping. So we find that people tend to have 
more of an inflammatory subtype, we call that type 1, more of an atrophic subtype, we call that type 2, or a glycotoxic type, we call that 1.5 because it has features of both 1 and 2, or a toxic type, that's type 3, a vascular type, that's type 4, or a traumatic type, that's type 5. So we subtype people. And then for each person, they have a slightly different program based on what's causing that. So for example, you know, if you have no toxic exposure, you don't need detoxification. Uh, although, of course, most people do have toxic exposures. If you have no uh, inf- inflammatory no or no infections, things like that, then you don't have to worry about that part of the protocol. But for those people who do, we want to address those things with the protocol. So the protocol itself, the way you address these things, and again, we're agnostic, whatever helps, it includes a specific diet, which we call KetoFlex 12.3. Uh, and of course, th- that diet needs to be an anti-inflammatory, mildly ketotic, plant-rich diet, high-fat medium protein, low carbs, and of course, as close to zero simple carbs as possible because those contribute to Alzheimer's disease. That's very clear. Um, and then exercise turns out to be very helpful. You're increasing your BDNF. You're increasing your insulin sensitivity as you exercise. Um, and then sleep, of course, many people have cognitive decline associated with desaturation events at night, typically from, uh, from sleep apnea, but not always. There are other things like so-called UARS, things like that, that also can give you desaturation events, and they're important. And then stress reduction. If you want to shrink your hippocampus, go ahead and run up your cortisol and keep it high, and you're going to shrink your hippocampus. That's very well documented. And then brain training, which, again, turns out to be helpful. People have poo-pooed brain training because they've tried to look at it without anything else. All of these monotherapies that people have tried – uh, they say, well, that by itself doesn't do much. No, not by itself. It's, it's, as, it's, it's so silly. It's as if you lined up each instrument from the orchestra and you, they said, which one of these instruments makes the orchestra? Well, no, it doesn't work like that. It's the orchestra, all the instruments together. And that's the same idea with this disease. You need to get each of these things taken care of. And that's when you get results that are unprecedented, which we see. And then, of course, there are targeted nutraceuticals targeted herbs. I mean, these herbs have been around for thousands of years, of course, and people have used them. And again, one herb by itself is not a cure. Uh, And we don't use the term cure anyway, because we say reversal of cognitive decline, because that's what we can document. For cure, you'd have to have an autopsy and have to show that, yes, everything's gone, everything's back to normal. We don't have that. What What we do show repeatedly is reversal of cognitive decline. Yeah. I love how you keep coming back to that multifaceted solution being needed for a multifaceted problem. And that's something that they've been teaching naturopaths for years as well. And I think it's something that naturopaths have done well for a long time because we spend longer with the patient. Right. And one of my favorite books is from a naturopath, Dr. Joseph Pizzorno. And it's called The Toxin Solution. And he talks about how to detoxify. And actually, I recommend it to all my patients. Uh, and actually, uh, Joe wrote to me and said, uh, thanks for, for pushing my book. And <laughs> so I was on an, an interview uh, a couple of months ago, and the woman stopped in the middle of the podcast, and she said, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've never had one doctor recommend another doctor's book in the entire history of the show. But I recommend his book very highly, and also one by Neil Nathan, which is called Toxic Heal Your Body, because they're good. And, and most doctors don't look carefully at what toxins you've been exposed to. And again, 
I, you know, I don't favor one thing over another. It's whatever is required to make people get better. And this actually fits very well with what makes people better. I hope, and I certainly don't exclude the possibility that one day there will be a single simple drug that will get rid of all Alzheimer's. That would be wonderful. We haven't seen it yet. And as you know, there have been billions of dollars in drug trials and drug development without any successes of note. There's been you know, modest, modest effects where they reach statistical significance, but they don't prevent the disease. All they're really looking for is whether they can slow the decline. What we're seeing with these patients is they don't just slow the decline. They actually improve. And most importantly of all, they sustain their improvement. So we've had people on this now for seven years who have sustained their improvement. Yeah. And that's amazing. And it's it's interesting that, that a lot of what you're doing is born out of the fact that there wasn't a drug that was found that could yeah. solve this problem. Like it's really brought a lot of researchers to their knees because no one has mm-hmm. come up with that drug yet that can fix it. Uh, where do you see the research going in the next five to 10 years? What do you think we'll find? I think that in the next five or 10 years, what's going to happen is we're going to increase the data set size. You have to remember, there's this huge thing that I call the complexity gap. We're dealing with human beings that are the most complex organisms we know of, uh, most complex machines we are aware of. And yet we're trying to fix a problem with this unbelievably complex machine by looking at a tiny, tiny data set. You know, what's your serum sodium? What's your serum potassium? It really makes no sense. So what I see happening is just as we've used better and better computation for sending people into outer space and, of course, even simple things like figuring out where you shop so that Google will know how to get you with the best ad, we are going to see more and more Silicon Valley in our medical practices bigger and bigger data sets. And what they will show is what's actually driving the problem. You're going to have, instead of all these people who have Alzheimer's, we quote, we don't know what causes it. You're going to identify specific pathogens, specific toxins that haven't been picked up before. And we're already seeing that with the data sets, even though, you know, ours are still 150 things is not very many. We're going to see millions when you have the whole exposome, the whole microbiome, the whole metabolome, the whole genome, the whole epigenome will be able to look much more clearly at what's causing this. And again, the same thing has happened for things like, you know, tuberculosis, be a pre-Coke era, we didn't know what was causing tuberculosis. And then, okay, well, now we understand, okay, there's something causing it. We can now address that. I think this is going to be, you're going to see the same sort of thing. We're going to be able to tell each person why they have cognitive decline or why they have risk for cognitive decline. And you'll be able to tell them you're never going to get this problem. Um, I think, you know, within the next relatively small amount of time, hopefully decade or less, but it may take a little longer than that. Um, we'll be able to say to people, this is what to do about this to make this a rare illness. And just as we had the previous scourges of leprosy and syphilis and tuberculosis and polio, this is going to become a scourge of the past. Yeah, I hope you're right. I really hope you're right. And thank you for all that you do in this field to help us move forward towards that goal. Dr. Dale Bredesen, thank you so much for spending some of your valuable time with us today. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Straight Talking Natural Health. If you liked what you heard, hit subscribe. 
That way you'll never miss an instalment. If you're a fan, please take a moment to leave me a review on iTunes. It helps other listeners to find this podcast too. Also, check out my website at julesgalloway.com. You'll find all the podcast episodes there along with loads of blog posts and resources to help you on the path back to finding your happy, energized self again. There's also a free quiz to help you assess your risk of burnout and adrenal dysfunction. So if you've been burning the candle at both ends or maybe you've been super busy or stressed recently, take the quiz now to see where your body is at. That's at julesgalloway.com. And let's connect. Follow my adventures on Facebook and Instagram at Jules Galloway Health. Till next time, remember, look after your awesome self because it gives others permission to do the same. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.